Welcome to episode 149B of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. Courtney is on vacation this week in Portland. And so since it is tax day, April 18th this year, as a part to the normal April 15th in the United States, I thought it would be a good time to talk about the fun topic of tennis and taxes. And there is no one better to talk to that topic about within the game than Kelsey Anderson, who is a certified public accountant and also the wife of Kevin Anderson, a top ATP player, and we talk about all sorts of financial and tax-related matters that face the players today and the complicated landscape they have to navigate in terms of international tax laws and things like that, that even Kelsey is pretty quick to admit were sometimes above her pay grade. So here's Kelsey. So today is tax day in the United States, April 18th, and who better to join us to talk about taxes in tennis than Kelsey Anderson one of the premier accountants on the ATP tour, I think it's fair to say, the wife of Kevin Anderson. Kelsey, thank you for joining us. Of course. I'm very, very happy to chat with you. So I guess what goes into, just start wherever you want with this, what goes into managing the finances of a professional tennis player at a world-class level like Kevin? And I guess as this deadline approaches, getting all your, you know, your house in order for filing taxes and making sure that everything is on track with that because I imagine with how international this is with how many different sources of income there are tennis a tennis player's taxes are some of the more complicated you could encounter in the world yeah yeah totally um so I manage I manage our books uh but we do have a tax accountant because kind of what you were speaking to Ben it's it's very complicated we're paying taxes in a lot of different countries a lot of different states um there's just a lot going on there and it's Definitely above my pay grade as as a CPA, but um, I did not work in a, in a tax, so I just felt a little bit out of my league with with the complicated nature of it. But I do do all the bookkeeping, and uh, we manage it through QuickBooks Online. And then once I've got everything finished and I finalize all my journal entries for the year, I then reach out to our um, tax accountant, who actually is a uh, famous tennis tax accountant. He manages quite a few other tennis players. Uh, he's based out of Tampa, but I know he takes care of John Isner's and uh, uh, Mike Bryan's taxes as well. So he, he's really, it's been a great resource for us. He's uh, got us incorporated and he's given us a lot of really good, really good tips to make sure we're paying what we owe and not a penny more. Can you, can you explain that? Because people who wouldn't know what the benefits of being Kevin Anderson Incorporated, if that is indeed the name of this incorporation, yeah. uh, what, what, how that helps a tennis player? Sure. Well, uh, probably one of the biggest benefits is that you don't have to pay a self-employment tax. Um, so there's inherent savings just right off the, right off the top because you are not no longer subject to that tax, um, when you operate as a corporation. Um, there are other benefits more from a liability standpoint. Um, if there were some ever, God forbid, some sort of lawsuit against Kevin, um, in some capacity, he would be protected, uh, somewhat 
because his money is going through a corporation and it's not his own personal liability. So there's there's uh, definitely some benefits. Uh, for a long time, we weren't incorporated. And then when, when um, Dave Bastian, our current accountant, took over, he strongly, strongly advised that we should do so for the for the reasons I just discussed. Yeah, I guess let's go to the, how wide ranging this is. You said you did the, this is more of a bookkeeping question. It's a taxes question. A lot of the earnings for tennis players are pretty public. Uh, so Kevin earned... Uh, a little over $2 million in prize money last year uh, to $2,054,052. So congratulations on that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it was near the top 10 in prize money. How much does that reflect the percentage of his overall winnings or overall income for the year? And how much is from other sources? Obviously, Kevin's not, you know, Maria Sharapova, who's getting yeah. a, a va- you know majority off court, I'm guessing. But, yeah. but how, how does that build into that? And how do you have to keep track of all the other ways that money can trickle in. Yeah. So that's actually very interesting. When I'm doing the bookkeeping, I classify it differently because there is um, endorsement income for certain things. So when uh, I receive, when we receive payment, if it's an endorsement, it's classified differently. So you can actually see the on-court money versus the off-court money at the end of the day. And it's separated. And I imagine some people, like you mentioned, I know Sharapova, but I mean, other people like Federer and Nadal, their endorsements have got to just dwarf their on-court revenue. Um, so I, it's a very important distinction, um, especially because of where you're, um, the tax jurisdiction, where you're actually being paid, um, that, that matters as well. So as an example, um, when you play a tournament in Australia, you're paying taxes first in Australia and then, um, anything you, you get a tax credit and then you would pay in the United States after that. Um, but endorsement income that, you know, Kevin's maybe being paid <laughs> to wear the clothes he's wearing in Australia, the, the endorsement income is still like theoretically earned here because it's off court income. So, um, that's not always subject and, and, and that's different for every, that's different for every country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that UK has, I think if you spend more than 30 days in the, the United Kingdom each year, um, they go after your worldwide income. And wow. so for some people, um, and I don't know if this is just hearsay or if it's true, but I heard that's the reason Nadal hasn't wanted to play a grass court event before Wimbledon in the UK, because he doesn't want to spend that many days there and, and risk, uh, the, the United Kingdom revenue agency going after him. Um, and so obviously the guys are all going to play Wimbledon and they're going to be there for a time during that. And then at the end of the year, a lot of those guys go back for the uh, O2 finals in London. So if they're concerned about um, their tax liability, it, it would affect your scheduling. And no, it, for sure. it does matter. And it, it, you know, it helps to be cognizant of that. And it's the reason for the last couple of years, Kevin and I, we've been really vigilant when we're over in the United Kingdom of keeping track of which days we're training over there and which days we're just visiting. Cause we have family who lives there, which days we're just visiting family. Um, because it, we, we know a couple of people have been, who've been nabbed and, uh, we just want to be careful <laughs> that it doesn't happen to us. Are there, are there other places that stand out in the world as being tax, uh, you know, not positive or negative? I know, I guess the Monte Carlo tournament, I guess, isn't actually in Monaco. It's yeah. In um, but I know, but are there other places where you, there are particular uh, peculiarities about how the how the system works that you have to be wary of or happy about when when scheduling? You know, some places it's really easy. They'll have the tax 
like I know in Australia, they have the tax offices right on site. And so we don't have to worry about then hiring an Australian tax agent to file for us there. It's just, it's all done on site at the tennis and then we don't even have to worry about it the rest of the year. So that's really, really great. Um, but yeah, some of these other countries, like in France, as an example, um, if you're not a resident of France, you're never going to get a return from them, regardless of how much you pay. But you have to file there no matter what. So we, uh, we've we had to file and we have to pay this French guy to <laughs> prepare our taxes in France and then uh, submit them for us. And we, we don't do it for any reason other than that we just want to make sure we're following all the rules and not get in any trouble. And I actually, I've heard rumors of certain uh WTA players going to collect their prize money checks at Roland Garros and being told that they're not going to get any money that year because they haven't filed their taxes for four or five years. Um, Again, you hear so many different stories. I don't know how accurate that is, but, but yeah, I did hear that uh, a particular player when she went to collect her prize money two years ago, Roland Garros, uh, they said, sorry, you can't, you can't uh, have any money this year because you haven't filed taxes. So, How, how much is how much is this sort of thing, the taxes and the finances on tour, a, co- a topic of conversation among uh, players and uh, entourages on tour? Um, well, obviously, Mike Bryan is who referred us to our current accountant. So we, we've talked with him kind of extensively um, about it. Uh, it's. You know, it's funny, people, they get chatting about it and everybody has stories because we're all in the same boat and we've all been dealing with this and we've all had relatively similar experiences. So um, it is something and, you know, it's a pretty, um, I think, clued in group of people. They all kind of have a pretty good handle on their finances and their money. And um, it's, it, it is it is an interesting point of discussion. And we've learned a lot of things just from talking with people and uh, things we maybe otherwise wouldn't have known. I guess you talk about how much you learn talking to people. How easy is it for a beginner to understand all of this? I can imagine if you were you know, an 18-year-old or something who just traveling maybe with a parent or something, you hadn't come up through a federation or from a smaller country that wasn't didn't have a tennis tradition, that learning all this on your own and learning that you had to pay taxes in France and things like that could be uh, overwhelming or confusing or something. Is, does the sport do much to make it easy for players or do you have to kind of learn it on your own? Yeah, you know, they do. The, the ATP has done a really good job of communicating things to the players. And uh, they, they were actually the ones to tell us about the issue with France, that everybody needs to be filing no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're only making a small amount of money in France or if you're making a ton of money in France. You need to file a return there. So um, that that was communicated to us by the ATP. I think they do a pretty good job of making sure if, if there's something that's going to be a concern to a player, uh, staying in touch and making sure that everybody's on top of it and informed. But, you know, at the end of the day, we Kevin played for about five or six years before we incorporated. So, you know, there, there's always things you can learn and things that other people can, you know, tell you have worked for them. And, you know, there's always there's always advice out there. And I think it's really important to surround yourself with good people and make sure that, you know, you're not just going to uh, the accountant on the corner if you've got a little bit more of a complicated situation. So for sure. One of the things I even I as a freelance writer have to keep and someone who travels a lot to have to keep track of is expenses. And I imagine for a player, there are even more. And we can I guess also we can get into his own payroll that he has with his staff. 
of, yeah. of people helping him and everything. But how much, how diligently are you guys keeping track of, or do you need to keep track of all the all the expenses that might pop up from, you know, stringing to rackets to, well, I guess some of that might be given to you by sponsors, but also, you know, meals, hotels, flights, everything that piles up in Kevin's life, even though, even though he's, you know, well above any break even point for making yeah. a profit as a tennis player, there's still things that obviously cut into that two million that we don't see. Yeah, totally. We, I mean, the the travel expenses are are very very expensive, and um, it's something that it's basically my biggest job is to make sure that we're capturing all of that because uh, it is deductible. Um, and so if you know we're staying at a hotel and we have to pay for a hotel for that week, that that is major tax savings if we can keep track of it properly and and input into our into our uh, profit and loss at the end of the year. So yeah, I mean. Uh, rough ballpark figure. I think last year we probably spent, oh, I, I want to say fifty to seventy thousand dollars on airfare. I know that's like wow. a pretty big range. I'm just estimating. I I'm going through. I I printed out our income statement here. I'm looking at it. Okay. Um. So yeah. I mean, for our four person team to get around the globe last year, uh, we spent around. Actually, it was more than I thought. It was eighty thousand dollars. Wow on airfare last year, which is a lot, but you know, um, we're, we're really, we're nomads and we're going all over the place. Lodging, um, looks like that was around $50,000 last year. So, um, when, when you have such a big team, these costs, they just, they really add up and, and you've got to make sure you're keeping track of them. And we, what we do is we have, uh, one credit card, that is just for our business expenses and everybody on our team uses it, um, for, everything from hotels to flights to if we go out to eat and uh, we, we, it's all in one place and then I'm able to see everything all together. Um, so yeah, you have to be, you have to be pretty diligent about it. Um, the, any more expensive things like airfare and lodging and equipment, you, you have to keep pretty good documentation on that as well to substantiate kind of who was flying where and for what purpose. So um it's important just in the event that you did get audited and somebody came and was looking at your books, you need to, you need to be able to prove that it was a valid business expense and we aren't expensing like a flight to go see, uh, our, our parents or something right. at, the, at the end of the year. Uh, it, ha- it has to be for a reason for a business purpose. And, and that's the main thing. Stay as long, as long as you have a pretty good handle on, on why you're expensing it. Um, I think the rules are pretty, pretty good for people like us who have such extensive travel throughout the year. And how about do managing payroll? Because some of your expenses are just going to salary of that. Yeah. So you have to be, um, you know, most people who file taxes are employees, but you're also Kevin Anderson incorporated is also an employer. Yep. So do you have to, you have to worry about making sure that all of your, I don't know, W twos or something would be in order for the coaches and physical yeah. therapists and everything else you have or so, 1099s or whatever, whatever form you wind up using. Yeah. So that's actually something that we have learned recently that we were kind of doing wrong in the past. Um, we have each of our employees now set up as independent contractors. So they are paid via 1099s. Um, in the past, we had them more as employees and where that gets complicated is um, when when we're paying an employee, we should be withholding taxes, and then they need to file a return with the United States to to get their money back at the end of the year, basically, uh, whether they have a tax obligation or a tax refund. So 
we now know that they need to be set up as independent contractors. So we've got his coach, I think, has also incorporated himself. And then he pays himself out of his corporation um, after we pay him. So it's kind of it's it's seems complicated, but there's ways to make sure you're doing it right. And uh, I think I think now we've got a really good system set up for for everybody and making sure they're they're getting paid and uh, that they they're uh, not subject to taxes that they don't necessarily owe. Yeah. How much? I guess I don't know exactly what term to use for, but how much dark money or something do you think is floating around tennis? Some people talk about appearance fees or you know if you do exhibitions you get certain things there's bonus bonus pools not dark per se but you know, that's more published but how much other miscellaneous income is that you have to keep track of and it, are there ever times in tennis where people uh, offer to pay under the table or anything like that that you have to be wary of yeah i mean gosh it's it's so hard to say uh from our perspective because i only know in our own experience but um we, the way it works for Kevin is any sort of um, endorsement income or anything of like that is going to go through his agency um, first at IMG, and then and then Kevin is paid from them after they take their their agency commission. So for us, uh, there's not really a whole lot of room for any sort of you know like hiding money, <laughs> but I'm I'm sure it happens. I'm I'm sure there are people who are getting as you said like appearances under the table. And, and things like that, um, especially if they have kind of like a more personal management setup. Uh, but ours being such a big agency, uh, it's all very, very well documented and stuff. I think, though, honestly, I think there's a lot of players who who get really big, really big appearances. Yeah. And um, I, it's it's a funny thing. Like, it's hard for me to really say um, how much is out there. But it, it depends so much on... Um, the personality of these players and the draw that is perceived that they have. And, you know, tournaments place a lot of value on getting somebody like Roger Federer to come play their tournament. And it's going to sell tickets and it's going to uh, maximize their television, their, the money that they're paid from television rights. So it's, it's very valuable to them. And if they have to pay, and, and I'm just throwing out a number here, I have no idea, but if they have to pay a million dollars for right. Roger that, Federer that's to a, come... That's a number that's probably low for Federer sometimes. Yeah, yeah. so if they have to pay that it might be worth it to them. And uh, so I actually think, I think there's quite a bit of that going on. Um, it's, it's hard for me to say because I love Kevin, but he's not, he's not the person who's getting those kind of offers. So <laughs> I don't, I don't really know. Um, I don't really know at the end of the day uh, how much is out there. And, and I can only really guess or speculate or go off of these like stories you hear of people getting obscene appearances, but, but yeah, it does, it does happen. And it's, it's interesting because when you look at the prize money distribution in tennis and it's really top heavy already, and then you know that all this other, um, all this other, uh, appearance money is being passed around at certain events. It's, 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 it's an interesting, uh, conversation. It's an interesting thing to talk about. Um, but I, I don't know that it'll ever change. I think, uh, I think in a lot of ways, the tournaments really need the, they need to incentivize these top guys to play. Yeah. And if, if that means paying them, that means paying them. No, so, especially for like a, a 250 event, it can be a, you know, they do it because it makes economic sense for them. I mean, a tournament yeah, like make Doha, break. which is a 250, manages to shell out the money to get both Djokovic and Nadal, which yeah. no 250 and it's, you know, normally should be able to afford. Yeah. Um, but they think that whatever income they, those two guys bring in, it's worth it to them. Mm -hmm. um, I guess in terms of one of the other things people think about with terms of tenants and taxes is tax havens where players live. And I remember a couple years ago, 
uh, when France was playing Switzerland in the Davis Cup final, all four French players also resided in Switzerland. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> because, I didn't even know that. Because just that was the way the French taxes are considered especially oppressive. Yeah. Um, and I guess they have a deal with where like Monaco is not available as a tax haven for French citizens the way it is for a lot of the world. So, oh, have, you talk, have you ever heard from players? Have you guys, has Kevin ever considered? I know Florida, where you guys are based, is one of the more friendly tax states. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Have you guys, have you heard, talked to players who are considering moving to a place like Monaco or somewhere else um, well, that might be uh, just for tax purposes to set up a base there? Because I know it's a definitely a motivating factor when you see top men and women who are based in Monte Carlo. It's not just because of the nice yeah. coastal location. No, I think, I mean, there, there are a ton of tennis players who live in Monte Carlo. And I think it's specifically for that reason. Um, I think, you know, we, Kevin and I have spoken about it and sure. Could we save a lot of money if we decided to take up residence in the Bahamas or the Great Cayman Islands instead of here, uh, in Florida? Yeah, we could probably save a ton of money, but I always say to Kevin, I'm like, yeah, but then you have to live there. And at some point you've got to just decide if where you want to live is where you want to live and, and to make your decision based on that. I know there's people who live, uh, a lot of tennis players used to live in Texas if they didn't live mm-hmm. in Florida, but now it seems like people are still, they like, there's guys who live out in California. And, um, I think, I think, you know, your quality of life is pretty important. Uh, you're traveling a lot and when you do go home and you're at your home base, I think it should be where you want to be. Uh, fortunately for a lot of these people, if they do choose Monte Carlo, it is a very, very nice place to, to, uh, call home. So I think that's why it's attractive. Um, I know that Switzerland has been cracking down. Somebody was telling me that it's not as easy to, to harbor your money there as it used to as it used to be. And I know that the United States government in particular, if you're living and spending time here, but you have assets elsewhere, um, they, they are really, really cracking down on, on people who do that. So, um, you know, I think, I think the way of the global economy is it's going to become harder and harder to get away with that kind of stuff. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I think it's already happening and I think it's just going to get worse and worse, but you know, Kevin and I, we, we really love Florida and uh, we, we've been really happy here. I just, I can't see us living anywhere else in the near future, even if it was very compelling for uh, for tax reasons. No, for sure. I, I guess, um, how, this is less of a tax question, more of a general finances question, and this is obviously completely subjective, but how smart do you get the sense that tennis players are with their money? Or that, that or tennis, you know, families are with their money, whoever is controlling this. Because I, I remember there's obviously this, I don't know yeah. if you ever saw it. There's an ESPN documentary in the 30 for 30 series called Broke about players and other oh, yeah, sports. yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, athletes yeah. Who, who quickly blow all their money on, you know, cars and making it rain and clubs and things like yeah. that. And, and spending on just gifts for family and other things that pile up quickly. And tennis players, I mean, you, they're, like you said, they're making a lot of money. Um, but it's a, re- it's a relatively limited career when, and when, yeah. when it's a very, very, very small percentage of players who will have anywhere near similar earnings opportunities uh, at least in the immediate aftermath of, of getting off the tour. So yeah. how how miserly or how conscious do you think players are of that, of just trying to build up a nest egg to last the rest of their lives from their playing days? And how much are players more loosey-goosey and, or flashy yeah. with their money? I mean, honestly, I think you it's such a personal thing. I think you see a really wide range of people. Like when I'm when you say flashy, certain people come to mind. And when you say really tight with their money, I think of other people. Um, it's honestly, it's all over the board. I think though, generally as a whole, 
I think it's a pretty well-educated group of guys in general. A lot of these, a lot of these players come from families where they've been educated about money and, you know, being careful and, you know, tennis, it's a really expensive sport, even from childhood. Oh yeah. So, you know, a lot of these players have already put well before they even come close to playing a professional match, a huge investment into themselves and into their careers. So I do think it's something that players and their families are cognizant of. I know um, Kevin and his family has always been very, very vigilant about, you know, you, this could be, you know, you, you could have one shot at this and you need to make sure you make the most of it, but also make sure, you know, you're still being smart about how you're spending money and where. And so Kevin and I have, I, I like to think we've been pretty responsible people when it comes to that stuff. But I imagine there are also people who find the temptation of living this fast paced lifestyle and, you know, going to these really exotic cities and being around, like you said, the, the flash and the glamor and, and all of that, it's really easy to get caught up in. So I, I honestly think, I think it, it goes both ways. It's, it's really hard to say, but I think in general, you know, there's not too many stories that I hear of people, uh, you know, having really tragic ends with tennis. And yeah. No, there was, no there was only one, there was only one tennis player I can think of who was on the broke documentary i think it was yeah. sanchez vicario and i think it was with her it was more um issues with her parents and something like that disputes over money that way yeah so i yeah I, i'm trying to think of somebody like where you hear a story where they've had huge financial troubles and there, there's really not too many i i think it's a pretty pretty smart group of guys and people are pretty mindful of the cost and and uh i think the the way it's a fragile career, you know, yeah. you, you never know what's going to happen. You never know when you're going to get a really bad injury and maybe not be playing another match. And Or you so just stop I, winning. It happens to people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I think the group in general, if I had to make a sweeping generalization, I'd say they're pretty responsible financially. Well, that's good. Well, thank you very much, Scott. This is awesome. If you have like one parting piece of advice for anyone starting out in this world, now that you've, you, you have your own, CPA background, which is not exactly yeah. analogous to, like you were saying, all the complexities of international tax law and France and UK residency laws, whatever. Um, if you can give advice to people who are starting out on this, on how to make this system as good as it can be for you, what, what would you say? Um, honestly, I would say to obviously, like anything, surround yourself with the right people. Uh, get a really good accountant who knows about tennis or knows about the complexities of uh, where we travel to and things like that. Uh, it's not the type of thing you should just kind of guess guess at what you should be doing. Uh, you want to get it right. You want to make sure that you're paying what you owe. And um, it's it's it would be very tragic if uh, somebody ran into some tax trouble and uh, it affected their playing career. I think that would be the real the real tragedy because these guys at the end of the day. Uh, they're, they're not accountants, they're, they're tennis players. So stick to what you're good at and find somebody, find somebody who's good at accounting to, to do the hard stuff for you. Well, you are very good at this all, Kelsey. So thank you very much for being with us. Uh, good luck, I guess, if you haven't already filed or e-filed. Good luck sending that, hitting that send button later today. And uh, we will hopefully see you back on, I guess, sidebar on Kevin. How's everything coming with his comeback? It's, if you want to share an update with people. No, it's really good. He he had ankle surgery, and so he's been recovering from that. And uh, he's been actually he's been back on the tennis court the last couple of days, so that's a little bit of an exciting good, good. tidbit that I'm happy to share. He's been pain free and working to get his cardio back up, and uh, we're hoping to head off to Europe and get on the dirt soon. So 
uh, we're pretty we're pretty excited. I, I miss tennis. <laughs> well, we miss you. Thank you. Thank you again, Kelsey. This is awesome. All right. Take care, Ben. So thank you very much, Kelsey. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and any other podcasting app of your choice and leave us reviews on iTunes and any other apps of your choice as well. We like that. Uh, Send us questions, comments, complaints about this episode, any others, uh, any questions for upcoming episodes as well to no challenges remaining at gmail.com. The executive producers of no challenges remaining are Francisco Resendez of tennisballs.com and Tal Woolley. Thank you very much guys. We'll see you again very soon. Five